chapter 1, and we're going to share the whole chapter tonight. The queen says no, and the king says go. So, of course, by that title, we are referring to uh, Queen Vashti and her refusal at the king's command that, that she come before the men and all of her beauty be displayed and she parade, be paraded through the drunken men of the feast that's going on. And a law was passed, made right then, that she be removed and the queen be replaced. So that's what we mean, of course, by the queen says no and the king says go. We touched on this during our introductory message last week, and now we're going to expound on it as we get into chapter 1. We're going to divide it in three ways, and we're going to look at three things tonight. We're going to see the agenda of the king. We're going to look at what we have so much of in here, and that is the alcoholism of the king. And then we're going to look at the aftermath for the king and the queen. So in verses 1 through 9, it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, over 170 and two provinces, that in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and servants, the power of Persia and Media, and the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even an hundred and fourscore days, and when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to, to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink in the vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel. For so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women and the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So we're going to look at the agenda of the king now in the first nine verses. And first of all, Ahasuerus, that's more of a title than a name uh, that, that he had, but that's what he's called through this book, so that's what we're going to call him as we go throughout this book. And then in verses 3 through 8, we're going to look at a feast that this king prepared 
for, for all of those of his provinces uh, uh, under his rule. He prepared a, a big feast for seven days, but as we read, that, that for almost six months, there went on uh, the king just showing off and, and bringing everyone under his command in to, to show them the glorious kingdom that he had. And he wanted to make an impact on them with his, with his wealth and his riches. And, and so you had leaders from 127 provinces that he would bring in and, and show them his kingdom. And, you know, how many would he bring from every province, you know? If he brought in four, that, that's about 500 that he would have there. If he, if he brought in seven, we're looking at more of a thousand men who were in this feast and part of these festivities that went on for so long. You know, if, if it were 15 men per province, we're looking at 2,000 that he gathered together. I doubt they would be there all at the same time because there were duties and responsibilities in one's own province. So I don't know what kind of rotating basis this might have gone on. But nevertheless, we have an extravagant banquet that he has put together. And he went through great lengths and effort in whatever way it happened for his princes and for his servants and, and all of these to come see uh, his his royal estate, and and so you know you think about them coming to this big to this big banquet that they have, and and the good time they might have. It seemed very generous. It it was it was a nice thing to do. You might look at it and say, this feast. Uh, th- by the way, this feast wasn't like Israel's feasts, the spiritual feasts that we would learn about in the Bible. You know, you have the Feast of Passover that was, that was held annually, and then the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacle. And, and so those feasts, that, that was all about Israel being unified, Israel worshiping God. Those feasts were all about... They were all about picture lessons, if you will, illustrations of spiritual truths you would find through those feasts. There, there, there was prophecy of the coming Messiah that you would find in those feasts. But this feast that this king put on was not like those. This was a feast of drunkenness that he provided and put on. And everything about this feast displayed the king's pridefulness and his boasting and a showing of his wealth and a showing of his power and all of the authority that he had. And, and so this is a feast unlike those others. And, and you know, there were things that went on for 180 days and then at the end here, you had a seven-day feast where we talked about numbers of his leaders that he would bring in. Well, f- for the last seven days, he brought in a lot more people and made a big invitation for several more to attend the week's festivities. And so, and so there's no doubt this was a very expensive feast. The king was going all out. There was a lot of cost in what he did, 
And I need to say this. There was a lot of thought behind the scenes of what he was doing because he had an agenda in relation to what he was doing. The purpose of this giant banquet, it's not recorded in the Bible, the purpose, but we do find in history uh, some information on this banquet. Now, King Ahasuerus, his father, fought against Greece, and Greece defeated them. And his father went back home, and he went to prepare to come back to get revenge and to fight them again, and he died before he ever got that opportunity. And now you have his son, King Ahasuerus, and he wants to avenge the battle for his father. This is something personal to him, passionate to him, and he has big plans. He wants to take over all of Europe in this battle, and this is what he wants to do. And so, so see how this comes together, that he's bringing in all of these leaders from the provinces, and he's showing them his power, and he's showing them his authority. He's whining and dining them, if you will, and it's all to lead up to the fulfilling of his agenda. He, it, it, this isn't real. It isn't sincere. He's not wanting to gather with them just to spend time with them. There is an agenda and, and, a, and a lot of false things going on behind the scenes. So this big celebration uh, being displayed was to sell everyone else on his plan. He, he had in his mind what he wanted to do. He wanted things to be the way he wanted them to be. He needed an army to go and to do this. And they weren't passionate about it. But he brings them in in a scheming way to try to win them over. So the feast was a show, actually. And there was something behind the scenes of his feast. He just wanted to show his wealth and his power. You know, you can imagine the mentality being created that, wow, if the king can put on a feast like this and put so much money into having a feast for all of us, he can provide, he can, he can finance a war. He can provide what is needed for this war. And, and so then he brings that out to them. And he, so he's aiming to overwhelm them with his luxury and the royalty of his court. You know, just imagine, in, just in the seven days, there's a lot of stuff that went on for over five months, but just the alcohol bill that he had for the seven days of bringing all of those people in, he was willing to go to great lengths to make his own desires and his own plans happen. He incurred such great cost because he was trying to sell the men on his agenda. But, but, but as we get into all of the alcohol he brought in, there's just a little something that maybe people don't bring out that I just want to look at in verse 8. It says, And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel. So you might look at what a, 
what an agenda-related uh, banquet this is and some shady things behind the scenes. But look what the law was in that day. No one was forced to drink. And so, I mean, it was by law. They obviously weren't shunned for not doing it. It's a lot different in this day and time. It's not the same way here. You go to a company's uh, banquet and, and you don't drink with them and, and they're going to shun you. They're going to cast you to the side and, and you know, you're, you're, not, you're not part of the group. And, and so they do try to press it on you. I'll never forget, I, I somehow got caught up with a groom and the groomsman before a wedding. Uh, I guess there was nowhere for me to go, so I just ended up in their room, and, and I had just been saved, and things had just changed in my life, and, and they asked me if I wanted to drink with them, and I, and I said, no, thank you. I didn't preach a sermon to them. I didn't tell them anything. I just politely said, no, thank you, and they said, okay. I thought it was going to go well. I was with them in that room for at least two more hours, and they asked me at least six or seven more times if I was going to join them. And I tell you what, I, I wasn't one of them. I, I wasn't, there, 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 there was them, and then there was me over here. And there was a difference, you know, and I was, I was left out. And so, so things have changed since then. But, but go with me to verse 9, and we're going to see this banquet is much bigger than anything I've, I've said so far because you had Vashti ordered by the king that she would entertain the, the wives of these princes and of these servants, all of these men. And they had a separate banquet that took place. The, the women were in one banquet with Vashti and the men were in the banquet with the king. And so you have the expense of all of that too. So look how he's going out just to fulfill his own agenda. What do you think about that? The men and the women are separated in different banquets. That's, you know, that, that's something that's a lot different today as well. I'll never forget trying, trying a job in the business world. And, and here I was living in this area, and the, the, the little conference they set up was just in downtown Houston, 20 minutes, no traffic. And, and they tried to demand that I go spend the night in that hotel around all of the employees with the, all these new employees for a social thing and a drinking thing and get to know one another. And it was, they almost tried to demand that your spouses not, not attend. And, and you know what, I'm just going to stop right there and, and move on. But it's, it's such, it, there, there's such a difference in what's going on now and what was going on then. You, see, you just see some things and, and how things have changed and it's, 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 just kind of like a wow. So the, so the king went all out, though, and he used his authority to politic and to campaign for this war that he wanted. You know, and he used, he used everything within his, his authority. He used his finances. He used his power to persuade. But what he needed to know, as well as leaders today need to know, that... God is on His throne in all authority, and He is the one in all, in all power. Authority comes from God. 
You know, you think about Pharaoh in the Bible. He learned that the hard way. Nebuchadnezzar, he was stopped in his tracks, and he learned that God was in all authority. You think of Belshazzar and Sennacherib and Agrippa. They all learned that Almighty God is in authority. And this king is going to learn as well. Things are not going to go very well for this king. However, there, though, though this is a heathen drunken banquet, if you will, and it looks like something that obviously God's not invited to, God is behind the scenes. God in His mercy, God in His providence is behind the scenes and He is at work in it all. In spite of the agenda of the king, in spite of the self-centeredness, the selfishness, and, and all of these people coming under the influence to, to follow Him, God is working behind the scenes. And so there's the agenda of the king. Now we're going to look at the alcoholism of the king in verses 10 through 12. It says, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, uh, Abagatha, Zethar, and Carcass, and the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Well, after almost six months at the end of this seven-day feast that's going on, the king is quite drunk. You know, a leader of a country, a leader of a family, a leader of a company does not belong in this condition. He's in, he's in that condition right, right now, though. I mean, that man, that stuff, it gets into your bloodstream it goes to your brain, and it immediately starts altering our way of thinking. I wouldn't want someone in, in charge of, of me or my country or, or my family in that kind of condition, yet that's the condition that he's in. And, you know, the thoughts and the reasoning, it immediately starts changing as a result of what he has poured into his banquet that he has poured into himself, obviously. And very poor decisions start being made as a result. Decisions that wouldn't be made if the beverage had never touched someone's lips is the testimony of that with very many people. The king does something he would have never done had he not been controlled by alcohol. I mean, what he commanded his wife to do, it wasn't the normal, it wasn't, you know, of the time and the culture that, that a king or, or a husband 
would, would do that concerning his wife and, and command that she be paraded around all of these drunken men to show off her beauty to them. I, I mean, the men and the women had separate banquets. That's something that didn't fit. That's something that wasn't done. It's something that he wouldn't have done except for the fact that he was being controlled by alcohol. It wasn't okay. It wasn't a gentleman thing to do at all. You know, a man didn't make occasion for showing off his wife's beauty from head to toe. You know, and, and, and so in thinking about how this would have gone about, she'd have probably been fully dressed. And it's still... It, it, was, it was inappropriate in that time. She rejected it. It's something he wouldn't have done. And, and I'm going to spare the details of, of how we would compare the modesty of that today uh, from then to today. It, it, would be, it would be much different. But the king was wrong. You know, you if you have commentaries in your Bible, you'll have, you'll have different things that are said about this. But the king was wrong in what he did, you know. But, but also, it's wrong to disobey the king. You know, what kind of situation are we in here? How do we deal with it? It was, good, it was for good reason that she disobeyed him. But things could get twisted and turned around. And, and all of the marriages of all of the men in all these provinces... You know, they could come under quite a strain if nothing is said or done about this situation. However, she, she, was, she had a good reason for what she did. She refused to do this because of modesty. And, and so, before we sort this out, just look at the mess that the alcohol made. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't have done it if he weren't inebriated. But, but he got under the influence and, and he started thinking in such a way and doing things in such a way that he would not have done. All of his power and all of his authority, the control that this king had from India to Ethiopia and all through these provinces and everything he was able to do, even though it was wrong motive in the wrong way, to bring about, to build, get his army together. He controlled a lot, but he couldn't control the alcohol. And that's because it cannot be controlled. It refuses to accept that position. It is, what I've heard of people from, from pulpits in some places saying it's okay to do this, but just make sure you control it. And I'd love to go talk to them because that's not something that takes the position of being controlled. It is a controller. It has addictive properties. You know, someone becomes an alcoholic by their first drink, and that wasn't their aim. You know, then you have those who say, well, well, you don't understand, preacher. I, you know, I, I've controlled it for several years and I've got a handle on it. It's, it's really like holding a stick of dynamite because you never know when it's going to happen. You never know when that's going to... It, it is a controller. 
but people think they're fine with it and uh, I can drive better under the influence and this and that. Well, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 says that it's a deceiver. And, and there's a good example of it right there. People who think that they can control something that cannot be controlled. And, and so anyway, here's the situation that, that we have. Uh, this stuff's in the opposition of being controlled. The king can control so many things, but he couldn't control the alcohol. And it leads into bad things it led into an uncontrolled anger as well for him. It does bad stuff. I'll never forget a, a grandfather-in-law who, who, who went to the rescue of his grandson-in-law and um, helped him with a trailer to get it on the truck. He was in a bind, and, and he comes upon him, and he, and, he, and he smells the alcohol, and the, the grandfather-in-law says, that can't be good. And long story short, about two years later, that, that man wasn't his grandson-in-law any longer. It does bad things. Look, look, the, the king got out of control with the alcohol. He got out of control with his anger. That's what happened to the king. And he became, he, he's in a position to be a leader, to be looked up to. And he became a terrible example to follow. A good example to look at and to see in one sense that, okay, I don't want to do that. All right, I don't want to mess with this stuff. I want to stay away from it. But he was a bad example being in such a position to be a leader and have influence and to act in such a way and to be controlled in such a way. You know, it says so much about it here I'll, I'll just continue for a minute because you think about how the world advertises this stuff. And man, the commercials look like so much fun and it looks like such a wonderful social gathering and everyone is laughing. But I tell you what, ask the preacher about lives and marriages that have been ruined as a result of it. Ask the police officer what happened when someone got behind the wheel under the influence of that stuff. Ask the doctor what it does to the body. There was a coach, and he, he coached baseball for several years, and every player that came his way, he said alcohol has no more place in the human body than sand in the gas tank of an automobile. Over and over, there are warnings throughout God's Word on its ability to destroy. But let's, before we move on to the next point, let's, let's hit a high note here. Because over and over, the Bible shares the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and how He has defeated the penalty of our sin. And we are being saved from the power of sin. That might not be the, temp the, the, the subject at point, might not be the temptation of anyone in this room, but we all have some temptation. And the good news for us tonight is that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And we can overcome whatever it is by the power of the Lord in our lives. And so now we'll look at the aftermath for the King 
and the queen. And we're going to look at this in verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marcina, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and, and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat the first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. And Mimikin answered before the king and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all men, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes. When it shall be reported, the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the, among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before the king Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great. All the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. And the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mimukin. For he sent letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. So Vashti says no to the king's command to come before the men. And so a chamberlain goes to the king, obviously, and whispers in his ear, Hey, Vashti said no. She's not coming. And she's the main attraction. He needs to be able to tap dance now or come up with something else. And, and so he's in this situation now. And, and so, so he was intoxicated and then he became very angry over it. And now we see in verses 13 through 15 that it's time for a leadership meeting. That they decide what to do about Vashti. And uh, he's got his seven counselors with him. And, and so he's looking to make decisions immediately about this. And then in verses 16 through 18, one of these men, Mimikin, speaks up. And he, ha he goes on, and he has a lot to say. He's like, oh, no, this, this is real bad. 
this is real bad. This, this is going to affect marriages. This is going to change everyone and, and their attitudes. And, and he goes on and on about this, speaking up that the act of the queen not only caused problems for the king, but all the princes and all, all the marriages throughout the 127 provinces. When you read his panic and his jumping to what he said there, I think probably he had some problems at home already he was dealing with. And if this didn't get dealt with the way he's asking to be dealt with, he's going to have more problems at home. This isn't going to go well for his case and his situation. Uh, so, so he makes the, the, the quick suggestion as to what to do. And then in verse 19, we, we see that... By the way, by their gathering together to make this decision, there obviously wasn't something in place to be done. A law had to be made right then because there wasn't anything in place for it. So the law goes in place. It pleases the king in the state that he's in, by the way, to rid himself of his queen and replace her with another. It says someone better, that, that there be a better replacement. Where is it at? In the very end of verse 19. And let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. We've got to be careful with the world's definition of better. Better, according to the world these days, is a whole lot worse. And in many cases, it was like that then. But they, so, they, so they have enacted a law to remove Vashti from being queen and place her, replace her with someone else. And, and so here we go again in this thought. A lot of people focus on Vashti's disobedience that got her removed as queen. Others focus more on her modesty. There's... There's no explanation given, but, there, but there's a modest act, you see, in her refusing to do that. Some people are caught in between the two. And, and I can tell by what some people say, they can't decide which way to go. And there may be differences of opinions uh, and thoughts on this in, in many cases, but there is no denying her example of what a woman's body and what a woman's beauty is not meant for. It's not meant for the lust of men. It, it is not meant to be, for them to be brought before these men this way. A woman's body is not meant to be sold for money in any way. It's not even to be used to get out of a speeding ticket, all right? Vashti wouldn't give in to any of that. She wouldn't do any of that with her body when she was under pressure to do so. And so you have Vashti in her situation. She couldn't have gone out more queenly, if you ask me. The conservative, modest queen showed greater character than the drunken, angered king. The aftermath for the queen, though was that she was removed. She was removed and, and she was taken out of, of her royal estate. 
But she goes down in history better than he does if you simply look at it. He's remembered as a profane king who got rid of his lovely queen. And also with the king in his own agenda, leaving God out, wanting to, wanting to, to shim-sham all of these provinces and all the leaders in these provinces to get them to do what he wants them to do. I, I, I like an upfront agreement. I still, I actually still have some businesses that, that I do business with them on a handshake. You, you, find, you find an old school shade tree mechanic and you can still do business on a handshake with some people. And that's the way that, that I like being able to do that. Look somebody right in the eye. But, but he, was, he was putting all this other stuff forth and it was all for his own agenda, his scheming plan. And as far as the aftermath for the king, I mean, everything came crashing down. His personal plan filled with pride, it, 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 it all came to a halt. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Hasuerus he didn't get his world empire that he was looking to build. He didn't get that, that revenge in the name of his father. And he didn't get to take over Europe. And he didn't get to have this world empire. Instead, he was defeated. What happened to Vashti? We're not sure. She could have been the mother of uh, Artaxerxes. And, you know, a, a, a mother... Uh, a queen mother now, possibly, but, but we don't know that that's the case. Don't have much said about her. In, this, in the letter that went out, in the last verse, you know, we see something right in there. Every man should bear rule in his own house. And, and, and God has called the men to be the spiritual leader of the home. We're responsible to God for our home. And, and so that's a good thing. It's a right decree but that doesn't mean that the king did right in all of this just because that, that decree went out right. He agreed to and passed that law inebriated, you know. And, and, and so being a Persian law, it couldn't be taken back. He, he couldn't sober up and hit rewind and, and erase it all. You couldn't do that under Persian law. It, it, was, it was in place and it was there. There's no doubt that the king had regrets. Anyone in that state and condition, they are going to have regrets for the things that they do. So as we conclude, you know, we touched on something Peter said last week. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And so there, there's definitely that lesson for us to be encouraged about in this. You know, when, 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 we, when we've had whatever wrong come against us, when we have looked to do right, but we incur consequences, even though we did right, like Joseph in the Old Testament being sold into slavery by his brothers after being thrown into a well, and, and then he becomes the greatest prisoner over in Egypt, and next thing you know, he's second in command, Look, he, he suffered all of these things for doing right. 
and God took care of him. It is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And, you know, of course, this is God's word, and ultimately it's he that says this. And so when you go into the next verse, that was 1 Peter 3.17. In 1 Peter 3.18, there's more encouragement for us here in that thought because it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit." When you think about what the queen had to endure and when you think about, you know, how the king was able to go on and when you think about your own situation and what you endure from others when you're doing right and you receive wrong in return, be encouraged by the great example of our Lord and Savior to us that not only he went through more than we could ever know, but we get to know him more as we suffer for well-doing. Because that was him. That's what he experienced, and that's what we are to experience as his children. If we have to suffer in this world for doing right, that's what we're to do. Well, next week we're going to look at Haman. He is hater of the Jews. And we are going to look at Esther. She is deliverer of the Jews. Mordecai's in there and... And so I'm excited to get to chapter 2, and we look forward to seeing you not next week, actually, but the week after that, because next week is Vacation Bible School on Wednesday night. So in two weeks, we will be back in chapter 2. And so God bless you all for being here tonight. It's so good to see everyone here. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brock Bullard if he'll close our Bible study in a word of prayer.